Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, SI's Brian Strauss joins me for our semi-regular talk on soccer, including whether FIFA has really changed, my mea culpa on Minnesota, and some of the things U.S. soccer should do with its surplus in excess of $100 million. A new U.S. Open Cup trophy. This thing is a joke. The beautiful old trophy, you know, was in disrepair. And so they retired it. And rather than just create a replica, a new version of that trophy, they're basically using a store-bought trophy. All that and my thoughts on soccer coming up. Take one. Here we go with my three thoughts on soccer. First up, the men who run world soccer made it loud and clear on Monday that they think FIFA's gender reforms are a joke. Moya Dodd, the most experienced and impressive woman in global soccer governance, a leader from Australia whom I interviewed on this podcast in January, lost out in her election to the FIFA Council to a Bangladeshi woman, Mafuza Karone. Karone has almost no experience and, when asked, could not name the current Women's World Cup champion on her first two tries. What's happening here? The FIFA reform package that passed last year created at least one spot from each continent on the FIFA Council that would go to a woman. But the voters for these spots are all men. 209 of the 211 National Federation presidents are male. The message being sent, and not just in Asia with Dodd, is that the male voters don't want vocal female leaders in FIFA and would prefer to have pliable women who don't rock the boat. For FIFA, which went more than a century without having a single woman on its board, the message of Dodd's defeat is clear. FIFA remains as sexist as ever, and its gender reforms are a farce. Take two. Next up, the U.S.-led bid to host World Cup 2026 is set to make a big step forward this week at the annual FIFA Congress in Bahrain. The bid is asking FIFA to approve a fast-track process in which the U.S.-Mexico-Canada bid would be the only bid considered by FIFA over the next year. If the bid were then to meet FIFA's technical standards, the final decision would come in 2018, two years ahead of the original schedule. FIFA already announced that European and Asian countries were prevented from bidding for 2026 after hosting in 2018 and 22, and no competing bids from other continents have been put forward. Obviously, having another World Cup in North America would be huge for the sport in this country, and it's CONCACAF's time to host again. The only concern I have is from a governance perspective. It doesn't look great to deviate from procedure if you're an organization like FIFA with such a sordid past. Finally, this week's interview is with Brian Strauss of Sports Illustrated. We get into a lot of topics, and I hope you can tell how much fun we have doing this stuff. I'm about to take a four-month leave from SI to write a book, but our coverage will be in capable hands with Mr. Strauss. Our guest today is perhaps my favorite person in world soccer. I have no problem saying that. He's Brian Strauss with Sports Illustrated. And he's back on the show. We're going to talk about some things going on in U.S. soccer and world soccer. Thanks for joining me, Brian. Yeah, no, we had one guy on Twitter who asked for me to come back on the show. And so (laughs) the people have spoken. The people have spoken. Yeah. So don't let it ever be said that we don't pay attention to our readers. I want to start. I give him a shout out, but I then I would have to open Twitter and we know how I feel about that. So there's lots to talk about right now. Lots going on in the soccer world, as there always is. But there I want to start off with FIFA and the FIFA Congress, the once-a-year FIFA meeting, where it's kind of like a, a Star Wars bar type scene where you've got every member nation uh, sending delegates to the Congress in Bahrain, noted human rights specialists in Bahrain. Um, and the big story... There's a couple stories going on here, Brian, and I want to get your take on uh, a couple of them. The first one, which is probably the most interest to U.S. fans, is the U.S.-led bid for World Cup 2026 uh, could get the approval this week from the full FIFA Congress to be fast-tracked so that it would essentially be uh, not quite a rubber stamp, but very close to it to actually remove any competition 
for the U.S. and Canada and Mexico to host World Cup 2026. 60 of the 80 games would be in the United States, including every game from the quarterfinals onward. And it would be finalized a year from now once the bid met the technical standards, which we know it it can do with all the stadiums and infrastructure. How do you feel about all that? I'm fired up. I'm excited. Um, that you know, it's it's a rubber stamp, fate accompli, however you want to call it. Um, it is our turn. It, it is it is Concacaf's turn. I guess is the better way to say it. Um, it. It's been since 1994, as we all know. It's by far the longest wait of any of the confederations. Well, other than Oceania, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure if Vanuatu is considering a bid, but um, I don't know if they meet the specifications. And uh, you know. Good for you know, good for FIFA for being realistic. Um, I mean, Africa could technically bid, but no one has really stepped up. Certainly, there's no single country in Africa that can come close to matching uh, the infrastructure uh, it, here in Canada and Mexico. And obviously, they just had one in 2010. So um, I worry a little bit that this might seem as like some kind of give back to the U.S. in exchange for something or other. I mean, obviously, Sunil supported Infantino in his election. Um, but logically, realistically, if you ignore that sort of thing, this is the only place to do it. Uh, and so I'm glad that uh, they're, they're doing something logical for once. Well, I have a couple of minds about all of this. One of them is it would be fantastic for North America to host the Men's World Cup for the first time since 1994. It would be huge for the sport in the United States uh, and taking it, I think, you know, a step higher in terms of where soccer is in the landscape here. And that's awesome. Uh, clearly, financially, it would be a huge boon for FIFA. Uh, the 1994 World Cup in the United States is still the best attended World Cup of all time, even though there are only 24 teams in that tournament. There will be 48 in the World Cup in 2026 for the first time. So I guess that's good. More money goes into FIFA as long as it goes to the right place eventually. I guess I wonder, the- I wonder which I wonder which player will be staying on my couch. <laughs> We're all going to have to put up somebody. My my question, though, is in in governance terms, it's not a great message, is it, that this this would be a no-competing-bids type situation, right? Well, like I said, I mean, symbolically, no, it's not ideal. And, 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 and the cynic could go even further, as I said, and, and wonder if this is some sort of favor or, or, you know, make up for, uh, the 2022 fiasco, you know, a referee calls a bad penalty on one end. And so he, you know, hooks the other team up later on. Um, it, it could be all of those things. And, and obviously FIFA never, ever deserves the benefit of the doubt ever for any reason, but superficially there is no competition. Um, you know, Europe and and Asia are ineligible. South America has already said they're focusing on 2030. Um, and so that leaves Africa where there is simply, again, and they've hosted a World Cup far more recently than us. And technically, they can't compete. And so it's 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 the sensible thing to do and, and fast track it. Give us the head start. Um, everybody enjoys it. It's a, everybody has fun. Everybody gets rich. Uh, you know, there's really just no reason not to do it. The other question I've got about FIFA, and this is connected to what I think is the other important news of the week. On a Monday morning, we wake up here on the East Coast and see that in Bahrain, the Asian Confederation uh, has voted uh, against Moya Dodd, uh, who is, if you don't know Moya Dodd, she's Australian. She is the most accomplished woman in FIFA governance over the last several years. She was a co-opted member of the FIFA executive committee at one point uh, has been huge for the growth of women's soccer in FIFA. Uh, very you had her on the pod, right? She was on the podcast. So, you know, stop, yeah, yeah, stop listening to us and listen to Moya Dodd's uh, interview from uh, January. Cause she's terrific. Um, and she was running in Asia for a spot on the FIFA council against a woman from Bangladesh that nobody had ever heard of, who has no track record or experience and who the main time she had gotten in the news recently was when Bangladeshi journalists had boycotted a a Bangladesh women's team press conference because this woman, this executive had uh, been preventing players from speaking to the media 
over there. So not a great track record, and yet this woman has beaten Moya Dodd uh, for a spot on the FIFA Council, and the new FIFA reform package uh, has quotas now. So there will be at least one seat for women from each of the confederations on the FIFA Council. I think given the history of FIFA, when you didn't have a woman on the FIFA board for more than 100 years until recently, I get why they have the quota there. But what's happening, and I wrote about this last fall, is that the all-male voters, and it's all-male, are choosing women who are pliable, puppets, whatever you want to call them, and voting out expertise and people like Moya Dodd, who are extremely impressive and very vocal. And it's an outrage, Brian. And it's one thing that makes me wonder, has FIFA really changed? This woman, I mean, there were reports today that she was asked by a journalist and, and you know, we're normally not inclined to, to you know, give quizzes. But I guess in this pit, in this case, this reporter felt it was relevant. He asked her who, who was the current Women's World Cup champion. And she got it right on her third guess. Uh, that's incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's incomprehensible. So, yes. Yeah, so, they're, they're, look, I guess the best way to think of it is that they're going – gradually right so they didn't want to have any women around um and then they have to so they're going to start with a woman who knows absolutely nothing about soccer you know so they're easing their way into having uh, you know effective smart women around and you know maybe that'll take them another you know two or three generations to sort of uh you know be man enough to uh to let a woman who knows something come into the room um i think i wonder if there's also an element of sort of the intra-asian politics here so not only i agree with you i not only is it uh you know hiring someone who they can manipulate and who's simply an extension of themselves um but you know when when asia when australia won the asian cup um a couple years ago in western sydney won the asian champions league i mean i I read several i don't know anything i'm not on the ground there obviously but i read several things that there was some chafing in asia about bringing australia in and how they were taking a World Cup spot and winning the Asian Cup, and maybe their entry wasn't so good for Asian soccer after all. So I wonder if part of it is that as well, that it's because Moya Dodd's Australian, uh, that maybe some some people voted against her, but I, that's just speculation. I, I have talked actually today to someone at the FIFA Congress who is, I guess you could call a FIFA insider, saying that they did think that was part of it, that Australia has not been totally embraced by the rest of the Asian Confederation. Um, and it's the accent. <laughs> it's a wonderful accent. You should listen to her. Oh podcast God, no, 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 no. What? Can't take it. Wow. Can't take it. You don't like the Aussies, huh? I love the Aussies. Wonderful people. It's just the, the accent is, um, <laughs> you know, makes, uh, makes my soul cry. <laughs> You know, before I move on from this, I, I've never heard anyone in my life actually complain about the Australian accent. So consider yourself special, Brian Strauss. Wow, taking on no, the, the entire No, I would I would Australian rather listen company. to I would rather I would rather the Scots, you know? I mean Yeah. <laughs> like I can't I mean it's it's uh it's it's really southern, right? So think about it. I mean in, in the southern US people have like really strong accents. Uh and, and this is southern the world. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's hard to deal with. Not a fan. So returning to serious talk here, I would say. Better, better edit all of that out. <laughs> Please don't. Um, Please do. when you look at what this means for women's soccer, I think it's a bad, bad set of news. Uh, and, uh, Moya Dodd's clearly somebody who has a track record of, Integrity. This is one of three people back at World Cup 2014 who were on the FIFA board who actually returned the $26,000 watch that was given to people on the FIFA board. Uh, The others being Sunil Gulati, the U.S. soccer president, and Prince Ali, uh, another person of integrity who's no longer on the FIFA council. Um, And all the rest of the FIFA board members just took that watch and ran, uh, breaking rules uh, that were even in place at the time. So... Um, I hope Moya Dodd goes on to have, uh, continue to have an influence. I guess she's going to stay on the 
uh, Asian Football Confederation Executive Committee, but not having her involved in the growth of women's soccer at the FIFA level, uh, not just the growth of women's soccer, but soccer in general, uh, is a huge shame. Uh, and it makes me wonder when you look at Johnny Infantino and a guy who is supposed to be a breath of fresh air changing things at FIFA, I'm starting to wonder, Brian, if Johnny Infantino isn't that different from Sepp Blatter and what was going on before. And I'm not talking so much about corruption or turning a blind eye to corruption as I am the Sepp Blatter playbook for gaining and power in FIFA. Power consolidation. Yeah, you know, because two of the biggest things that Sepp Blatter and his predecessor, Joe Havalange, did were expanding the World Cup, which has already happened under Infantino, where the Men's World Cup is now going from 32 to 48 teams in 2026, uh, and giving more money to each of the member nations. There's 211 of them at FIFA, who most of them don't have a great track record with how they spend that money or document it. Um, My favorite verb in British English is trousered, as in he trousered the $10,000 grant from FIFA. Um, but um, since you don't like accents, you may not like that either. Um, no, it's excellent. Anyway. I love it, accents. The I two, love Australians. These are the two biggest things that... It's John, New Zealand I can't stand. <laughs> these are the two biggest things that Johnny <laughs> Infantino is known for and has, has done right now inside FIFA. And so... I can certainly understand him saying, like, you can trust me. I am doing things differently. There won't be corruption under me. But if the two biggest things that he's done are straight out of the set bladder playbook, how different is Johnny Infantino? I mean, once once these, you know, everyone says the right thing before they get to the to sit in the big chair. But I guess once you do, um, there must be something in the air and at, at FIFA headquarters or, you know, they sprinkle something in the food at the cafeteria. Um you know, it's it's a uh, being in, being in charge of this organization and all that entails. You know, sitting in the plush red velvet seats at the at midfield for the biggest games, and you know, just all the all the the suites and the five star hotels and the whining and dining and private jets and you know, going bowling with dictators and all the things <laughs> that these guys do. Um, I can understand why it's intoxicating. Um, and you 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 left one thing out one one thing that sort of bothers me you know i was talking before about um whose turn it is to host the world cup and the rotation and that sort of thing uh the fifa council i believe it was the council um gave themselves a loophole uh to end that rotation system after the 2026 world cup Mm -hmm. um and the rotate for those not familiar uh a, a a given world cup cannot be hosted by the confederation that was the site of one of the two previous world cups um so, you know, uh, 18 was Europe, 2022 will be Asia. So that's why they're out. And that's why North America, CONCACAF had the inside track on 2026. Well, now they're saying that, you know, they, if they decide that there are sufficient reasons, uh, we can go back to a, a confederation if we feel like it. And that's, of course, is about China. Um, the, the market there, you know, the market there is four times the size of ours. I mean, that's mind boggling. And Chinese companies, not only is the Chinese Super League started to, you know, inject insane amounts of money into the game, as we've talked about, Chinese companies, and I think this is more importantly led by Wanda Group, um, are now FIFA sponsors. And so when other companies were bailing uh, during the corruption scandal and the indictments and that sort of thing, China's kind of stepped up to the plate. And, um, they don't play baseball. It's a terrible metaphor. Um, <laughs> China. I, I'd make a badminton thing, but I don't. Shuttlecock. I stepped up to the shuttlecock. Um, they're the ones keeping FIFA afloat, you know, by, by, by sponsoring them. So, so I feel bad for uh, Argentina and Uruguay, who, who were wanted to host a centennial World Cup in 2030, which would be amazing, and England, which just keeps getting screwed. I mean, it's just remarkable that the home of the game, you know, amazing stadiums, beautiful cities, easy to get. I mean, they have all the, you know, they have all the tools we have, and they're just much smaller and more convenient. Right. Um, and, and they're never going to get one. I mean, they just keep getting hosed. And so, 
uh, that whole thing, that whole, it just, it smells of sort of old FIFA under the table, smoke filled room, you know, give back, wink, wink, you know, sweaty handshake. And I don't like it. I agree. And I don't have anything against making money. Don't get me wrong here. Um, and so is it a good thing in theory if FIFA is making more money off the World Cup? I guess. Yeah. I mean, like the whole idea is that that money is supposed to go to build this sport globally. Um, and yet I also look at, at what's being done to make as we much don't, money as We don't as trust possible. them with the money. Yeah. We don't. Uh, the money will go to the right place. And also, I look at a 48-team World Cup, and I don't like three-team groups. I think a 48-team World Cup is bloated. I think it could be too much, but you can certainly understand why they're doing this. This certainly opens it up for China to qualify more often for the Men's World Cup. It opens it up for potentially India or other countries with giant markets to get involved in the World Cup. Um and and yet, I, I'd be bummed out if, if South America, if Argentina, Uruguay is basically out of it for a Centennial World Cup in 2030. I think that would be fantastic, 100 years after Uruguay hosted the first World Cup. But I think it's... The one, the one thing I worry about, we've both been to both countries, and I mean, you, you love Argentina. Um, you know, it's... Uh... It's you know part of your family in a way, and and I've I've been to been there each once and had an amazing time, and we've both been to a ton of games there, and the, the atmosphere there is like nowhere else on earth, um, and as and as sentimental as as it would be uh, to have the World Cup there, I do worry about what would be required from those two countries to host a World Cup of that size. Just in, true, neither neither country has. Uh, the facilities right now, and so the the amount of building that ha- would have to be done, and we we've seen how that can go wrong um, in in Brazil. That that makes hes- makes me hesitate a little bit. Right. Um, maybe if the World Cup here makes so much money, they can funnel some of it toward um, helping out with 2030. But uh, but if not if not Argentina and Uruguay, then then it should be in England um, and China. Look, Ch- China is uh, you know China is qualified for one World Cup. Um, they've never come, I think they've been in one Asian cup final. They're just not, they're not a soccer country yet. They're getting there maybe, but they're not there yet. And, uh, you know, there are other countries that should be ahead of them in line. It should be, I have no problem with making money, but the world cup should be about making money and another reason to be there. Speaking of money, since that is, this is an American soccer podcast. Maybe that's all we talk about. Um, a hundred million dollars I have written down here to talk about, and that is, uh, actually, it's the, the surplus that U.S. soccer has right now is in excess of 100 million. I think it's closer to around 140 million dollars. Uh, after the Copa America Centenario last year produced a, an operating profit of 46 million dollars for U.S. soccer alone, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. And there was already more than 80 million dollars in the bank. This is a a federation that had no money as recently as 2000, 2001. And so I guess the question then becomes, what does U.S. soccer do with that money? And I reported last week that uh, there are already discussions taking place in U.S. soccer about building a new national training center somewhere in the U.S. Um, and uh, having it be this state-of-the-art, very fancy place uh, and that would be what part of the money goes into. How do you feel about that, Brian? And what other possibilities could you see for that money? I'm just curious. Did the women know about that surplus during the negotiation? Oh I mean, yeah, they, yeah. Okay, because like you know, they'll, they'll even even the per diem nonsense. Like you know, like <laughs> did they know they could get the extra large Coke and extra large fries when they were forced to eat at McDonald's? You know, I mean, I I didn't. Anyway, it's just, it's more <laughs> ridiculous the penny pinching U.S. soccer was doing with them when you think about the funds here. Um, I don't I don't get the point of a national training center. Um, it's a massive country, so so bringing people to the same central point all the time, uh, you know, it, it's it's inconvenient. There are plenty of places in this country to train that are just fine. Um, you know, I, you know, may, maybe there's something about it I don't know or I'm overlooking, but that w- certainly wouldn't be where I would start funneling the money at first. Um, you know, we're not lacking nice soccer fields and, and locker rooms in this country. Um, I'm not sure that that's why we're behind, uh, uh, you know, why we can't 
get that get past that round of 16 into the quarterfinals. I don't think it's an infrastructure problem. So where do you want to see it invested? Uh, a new slogan. Um, <laughs> I, it's been one nation. I don't even, I don't know. All nations are one nation, right? It's maybe except for the UK. So maybe I, but everybody else, I, I don't get that at all. So new slogan, um, a new U.S. Open Cup trophy. This thing is a joke. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the beautiful old trophy, um, is, is, uh, you know, was in disrepair. Um, and so they retired it, um, to put in their hall of fame or whatever it is they're going to build. And rather than, um, rather than just create a, uh, a, a replica, a new, a new version of that trophy, they're basically using a store-bought trophy. It, it's, it's I, I found it on the internet. There are, there are auto racing there are auto races that give out the exact same trophy. The Green Bay Packers have a trophy that just looks just like it. There are several minors, at least two minor league hockey leagues, that that's their championship trophy. It's essentially something they bought at like the CVS of trophies. And not only that, but they doubled down and they made it the tournament logo. So like the tournament logo is like the generic trophy that they hand out to the open cup winner. And, and I, I've even thought about emailing Clark and Dan hunt and saying like, is this cool with you? Like, is it cool that the tournament named after your father, like the great American soccer pioneer, the logo of the tournament and the trophy they hand out is, you know, something picked up at a dollar store. So that's another thing I would do. And then, no, it really upsets me. And then, the uh, the third thing I do is I put it toward coaching education. I I, mm-hmm. I I um I would not have a coaching license when when I when I was coaching um I could not afford to go and the club the club that I coached for here in uh, Northern Virginia um paid for me to get the license and it was expensive and and it was a you know it's hours and hours and hours of work and, and it costs a lot of money and we have you know we, we need coaches in this country we need coaches who understand the game and 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 um are taught the right way to do things. And, and at least there should be some common threads in the way we're developing players and the things we emphasize. Um, and I think a lot of people are frozen out, uh, from getting their licensing because it's so expensive. So, um, I put it toward that. And then there's something else I want to throw into, uh, after you say where you're going to spend your money apart from the new open cup trophy, because you, must agree with me on that. I'm just trying to imagine a trophy that would cost a hundred million dollars. I mean, that'd be pretty sweet. Oh, oh God, it would be. Yeah, it would be like a Floyd Mayweather thing. It would be like you know, you know, diamond encrusted. Um, no, I, I, I'm assuming they'd have some money. Look, the one they the one they're using now costs five ninety nine. I mean, buy <laughs> one four times as nice, and 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 you forty times as nice, and you've still got a nice chunk of that hundred million left over. You do. Um, I guess what I would say is it, it seems pretty straightforward, but if there's any way of addressing pay to play and the current setup in the U.S. where uh, soccer is way too much of a middle class to upper middle class sport, then I would like to see that happen. Now, maybe that comes from a very well endowed scholarship um, that would go toward even. Uh, a committee that is responsible for uh, relieving costs around the country, I'd like to at least see that that would be a possibility uh, because that would be great for talent development in the U.S. in the same way that you're talking about with uh, coaching education, supplementing that. So I want to, I want to throw this out there. This is okay. So, um, so I'm in Washington, D.C. and I, and I, I went to uh, the U.S. Soccer Foundation's uh, Urban Soccer Symposium a couple weekends ago, and and was speaking to some people there who I who I knew already, but but got to see their presentation uh, that they give in one of the seminars. And it's this guy named Amir Lowry, who uh, grew up playing here, um, went pro, played mostly with the Carolina Rail Hawks, uh, now North Carolina FC, and and uh, Montreal Impact. Um, and he and uh, his partner, who's a digital media guy named Simon Landau, started this charity called the Open Goal Project. And this is exactly what they do. They raise money, they take donations, and they literally go into poor neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, ethnic neighborhoods, underserved neighborhoods, and scout for kids and fund them. You know, they find a kid, 
they go into the home, they meet the family, they figure out what they're about, what they want to do, you know, is it college, is it pro, um, and then they take these donations and they get them onto travel teams, they fund their trips, they fund their equipment, they fund their transportation, um, you know, kids who would never have access to a, uh, even an academy system, uh, much less a, a typical travel team. And these guys go in there and, and ingratiate themselves with the neighborhoods, with the communities and find kids, boys and girls, uh, to fund and get them into sort of the travel pipeline. Um, and that could mean put, sending kids to Europe. Uh, and it's, it's incredible. And, and it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant thing. It's called the Open Goal Project. Um, and I was in awe of their presentation. And, and, and it, was, uh, it was exactly what you're talking about, is trying to build a bridge uh, between sort of the, the establishment and, and the kids that we're still not reaching. And I, I do think that what the U.S. Soccer Foundation is doing under Ed Foster Simeon is some pretty impressive stuff. I'd encourage everyone to check out U.S. Soccer Foundation online and see what their projects are about. Uh, and they do put a lot of money toward uh, trying to raise the profile of soccer in parts underserved parts of the United States, whether it's by installing futsal courts or other things, infrastructure. Um, you know, it's been a helpful thing that you just need more and more of it, though, as time goes on. Um, I will jump from there into a topic that's more on the field, and I want to talk about Chris Wondolowski, Brian. Um, Chris Wondolowski had a terrific goal uh, this past weekend. Uh, and Why don't you go ahead and, and describe it and, and what it made you think? I loved it. I, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was f- first of all, MLS, right? I mean, Portland comes in uh, as one of the, you know, to me, one of the two best teams in the league, clearly, and gets thumped by San Jose, which, uh, you know, no one's ever going to be, you know, accusing of being one of the best teams in the league. Um, but Wando's first goal, uh, you know, a, a hard, low pass defeat, what with his back to the defender and the back to goal and, and just an incredible first touch uh, that separates him enough to give him time to get, get, get the ball onto his right foot and curl a shot in. Um, and it was, it was instantaneous. I mean, he, he did it in half a second and I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful goal and it just reminded me sort of, again, how, how underappreciated he is. Um, and, and uh, you know, how it makes me sad that the first thing people are going to think of with him uh, is the Belgian miss. Um, because he remains a great story. Um, and, and, uh, you know, he's, he's got, I think four goals and five assists. I think David Villa is the only guy in the league, um, right now who's, who's got more, uh, combined goals and assists. And, uh, you know, just again, just, oh, I won't, Valeri might have that many. Anyway, um, yeah, it just, uh, reminded me, um, you know, if you have a nose for goal, you have a nose for goal. And that's not something that we should uh, take for granted. Um, and obviously that, that leads us into, uh, Minnesota, um, <laughs> where a, uh, a player that, that I, I, I want to say, I, I did not pick them to make the playoffs. I'm not and, and they're not going to, and I mean, just, you know, they won a game. Great. Um, but they beat a good sporting Kansas city team. And, and this idea that, that people doubted Christian Ramirez, uh, you know, a goal score at the NASL level, whether he could do it at MLS. Again, I, I don't, I don't always understand that sort of thing because, again, if you know where the goal is, if you have that ability to find a space in the penalty area, if you have that that calm, uh, you know, your 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 pulse doesn't doesn't rise uh, when when you have a a chance to score. Um, you know, he's strong, he's big, um, he's he's got a nice touch, and 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 I I knew he could do it, and I'm just glad to see him doing it. Um, I didn't know about the rest of the team, uh, but he's a good striker, and and, he, and he's becoming someone that, who I hope maybe gets a gets a look for the gold cup uh coming in uh in the, over the summer. I got a couple thoughts on this and I appreciate uh you bringing up both those things. First on Wando, I don't want to act like the Belgium miss didn't happen. It happened. It was a miss that maybe wasn't as easy as some people thought it was, but still something he probably should have finished. Uh maybe Landon Donovan if he had been there does finish that. But what I don't like is that every time I tweet about Chris Wondolowski, and it's rarely in a national team context, so many responses come up talking about the Belgian miss. And I'm sure that happens for you too. Right. No, that's what I said. I mean, he, that should not be the first thing he's known for. I'll go to my grave thinking that was a 50-50 chance. Uh, and as I said to why I, I 
hosted your podcast one time while you were on Neptune or something, and and we talked about it, and and I said, look, I I, I think that was a fifty fifty chance, but that's why you were on the team. You were on the team to come in late when the U.S. needed a goal and convert that fifty fifty chance. That being said, um, he's done other things in his career, um, including including not only score a shit ton of goals, but including be the guy who has given that club some identity while it's sort of been drifting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, what, what what pops to your mind when you think of San Jose Earthquakes? This is one of the teams in, in MLS that still is trying to find itself. Um, and, and during that period, he, he's a local guy who's given everything he has to this club um, and has given it at least some structure and, and, and a face uh, while it's sort of still trying to figure out who it is. And I'm sorry, and I completely interrupted you no. for like the 10th time. No, it's all good, man. Uh, as far as Minnesota's concerned, I'll offer up a little bit of a mea culpa here. They um, hate you. They really do. Um, they really hate you. And I, I've the kind nicest of, people in the country hate your guts. I've embraced it. Um, and I actually am thinking of going to Minnesota when it looks like they're about to get win number six just to sort of show my face, let them have at it with me, Brian, because uh, last October, November, whenever it was, uh, I was asked in a mailbag about how I thought Minnesota would do. Uh, I wrote that a bunch of MLS GMs, agents, coaches were telling me that based on what they were saying, they could be one of the worst teams in league history. And because I don't quote those guys by name in that case, uh, I became uh, shoot the messenger man. Now I did say because I was asked to make a prediction of over under of wins. And I said five uh, this season and already Minnesota is at three wins, which is more than seven teams in MLS, by the way, uh, including the defending champions and the five time league champions. Um, I just want to say congratulations to Minnesota. Congratulations to Adrian Heath for getting things turned around. And this is mainly a defensive turnaround, isn't it? I mean, this is, a team that Absolutely. was leaking goals uh, at the start of the season, conceding leaking. It was like it was like the Hoover Dam <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> they conceded, I think, it was five or more goals in three of their first four games. And I still think I don't know what you think about this. I still think that qualifies them to be one of the worst teams in MLS history at that time. Oh, it was it was maybe the worst month in MLS history. You know, uh, not counting. Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Chivas USA did. You know, I'm sure they had a month uh, just as terrifying. But I, I think what the what what the GMs and and the people you spoke to, it's surprising to me because these are guys who spend twenty you know spend their time twenty four seven trying to figure out how to make their teams better. And what and and I did a story on on Minnesota uh, right before their first game, and I, I spent some time talking to Manny Lagos, um, who's their GM. And uh, that may not be his official title. I, I apologize. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things he talked about was, you know, especially the fact that they didn't have any DPs, is that they didn't necessarily know where the strengths and weaknesses of this team were going to be until they got on the field, until they started seeing, here's what we can do, here's what we can't. And the same goes for Adrian Heath. So they, they had to leak those goals to, to realize that they needed, you know, to, to make the Cronin-Birch trade, for example. Um, Christian Ramirez uh, started on the bench. Right. You know, Heath, maybe Heath uh, didn't trust a, that a guy who scored in the NASL could do it in MLS. The Gallabar are the same thing. So this team, they, they didn't give Manny and, and Adrian the, the benefit of the doubt that they were going to evolve and that they were going to, to test and retest and, and, and make changes if necessary. Um, you know, the, the idea that they put a, a, an 11 out on the field on, um, on opening day and it would be the same team throughout the entire season made no sense. And that was never their intention. Can we at least call Demidov the worst defender in MLS history? I, it's almost, I almost, I just feel bad. I, I, I feel bad watching him and, and talking about him. It's like a pity thing. And, and I, it's hard to talk about <laughs> Moving on, uh, Dallas and Toronto have really stood out lately as being uh, contenders for the MLS Cup. Uh, do you think Dallas is far and away the best team in the league? No, not yet. Not far and away. I mean, I, if I had to do the power rankings this week, I'd certainly put them at number one. Um, but 
Toronto and Portland are both so dangerous. I mean, on any, on any given day, one of those two teams could could thump anybody, including Dallas. Um, seeing, I I really enjoying seeing Josie Altidore just healthy, healthy, a hundred percent strong, um, confident. Uh, and he's he won't listen to this, but if he if he was, he'd hate me for saying that. But when I say confident, I don't mean in his skill and in his ability as a striker. I mean that he's going to be healthy, that he can he can play 90 minutes every weekend um, and, and that the hamstring's not going to go, uh, that he's not going to be favoring uh, one leg, another, you know, one foot. I mean, he talked about how the hamstrings, uh, you know, it's a, it's a balance issue that sort of influences your whole body and 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 you know he doesn't have to worry about that anymore because they really did a good job taking care of things last year um and so you know i would i would love to see them get another crack at it um you know they uh that's a really good team and um then they're showing that they don't have much of an mls cup hangover so good for them and obviously portland it being a uh you know, odd numbered year is, um, is going, doing well, uh, apart from the loss to San Jose. So those are the three top teams for me at the moment. First off, didn't Josie have a thing about the term confidence that he like went on a rant on about? Yeah. That's why I'm saying like, yeah, like I, I, <laughs> I, the word just came out cause I'm bad at this and stupid words that I don't mean to say like pour out of my mouth. And so, so, but, but I do mean it about maybe it's confidence in his body. I think is a point worth making that 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 it had to it had to kill him right i mean he, he the hamstrings were just brutal and and he was missing major tournaments and and there was there was doubt about his future with the national team doubt about whether he was overpaid by toronto i mean just to know that he you know looks like he may have solved this problem that 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 allows him a certain kind of confidence um he bristled because he he you know tell me if i'm wrong but it was more like you know, why do you guys think that I don't think I can play this game? You know, <laughs> like, why do you think I doubt my ability? You know, like it wasn't that it was, uh, it, it was that he could stay healthy, um, right. and that his body wouldn't betray him. And, and so, um, you know, Josie, I, uh, I'm sorry, man. Um, all the best. <laughs> I also want to ask you about the Washington Capitals and I realize they're not a soccer team, but for those listeners who don't know, Brian lives in DC. Um, and it's something of a long-suffering Caps fan. And you've been struggling lately, right? It's been exhausting. Um, it's There was a point the other night, on Saturday night, they were going into the third period down by one, and I kind of I kind of just wanted it to be over. It's like, just put the dog to sleep. It's blind. It's peeing on the rug. It can't walk. You know, <laughs> at some point, existence is miserable, and you just want it to be over. Um I think it's fascinating that, and this is how it ties into soccer, I think it's fascinating that teams develop identities, develop a DNA that transcends um, a given generation of players. There's something about the shirt, something about the history, the atmosphere, the the arena or stadium um, where, you know, I would have bet all of my major organs, for example, that Real Madrid was going to win the penalty shootout against Atletico last year in the Champions League final. I mean, just no doubt about it. Um, you know, I don't know, Fergie time for some reason. You know, people, referees, the, the crowd, the atmosphere, there's something about that that red and black United kit. Um, you know, just certain teams have a, a uh, you know, an aura um, that, that continues on and, and, and that when you join that club, uh, permeates you and and so that's the capitals i mean it's 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 a they're the biggest chokers in sports i think i mean they they're easily i think the the north american sports record holder in blown two goal leads in playoff (laughs) series um they'll be the only team uh when this is over they'll be the only team in nhl history to win three president's trophies and not win a stanley cup um on and on and on i mean they're they're three and they're three and seven i think in home game sevens which is impossible um, they're about to go one and nine all time against the Penguins um, in uh, in playoff series, um, and this goes back generations. This goes back well before Crosby and Ovechkin. So it's really incredible to to be a fan of it. And they're my they're my favorite team because I'm not you know I'm a soccer is different. I, right. I'm a soccer fan, but we're not team fans. So my the only sports team I really care about is 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 the Caps, and it's just remarkable to see history repeat itself again and again and again. 
And I think we can all probably think of, of, of soccer teams that are decades, centuries old that have that same kind of, um, you know, irresistible pull uh, that, that affects results in given games. Well, while I sit here and ponder you betting your organs and wondering how much your organs are worth or any of our organs, uh, if we were to bet them. Mine probably not much at this point. But <laughs> I also wonder what MLS teams have sort of developed a reputation for what we're talking about here for over history and different players just having a certain reputation. It, it, it's easy. That's an easy slam dunk answer. And I would say that, that it's probably even the best analogy for the Capitals in all American sports um, would be uh, the Red Bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, multiple first place finishes. Um, there was a point where they were eliminated at home in, from the playoffs in like four or five straight years. I mean, Red Bulls fans would be able to answer that. They were they were losing now. Now it's not a seven game series. Obviously, it's much shorter. But their inability um, to to make home field advantage in the playoffs, such as it is, uh, translate uh, like the Capitals. They 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 stumbled their way to one final and got blasted um, by a much better team. Um, and so if you know if you were to you know in another twenty years, uh, if the Red Bulls continue on this, uh, they'll be an outstanding um, sort of a you know partner for the Caps in in heartbreak. So I think it's clear uh, that the Capitals and, and New York Red Bulls are, are kindred spirits. I'm reminded that 22 years into MLS, there are no stars on the Red Bulls jersey above their badge. That's right. That's right. I, I had a buddy who asked me, uh, this, this is a fun thing to think about, a fun like sports bar trivia question. Is obviously the the the, the, the primary sort of thing that about the Caps that's driving all of us crazy is that we have a generational player, and it's and, and it's been very rare in this city um, that we've had w- one of the best players ever in a sport. We, we we haven't won many MVP awards in in Washington D.C. Mark Mosley, you know, <laughs> the, a kicker won the NFL MVP. Um, Topo kicker, and, by the uh, way. and and Ovechkin maybe the you know the, the you know arguably the best pure goal scorer in the history of the league. And, and he's never even been to the league semifinals. And, and so I was again, talking with a friend of mine, like, are there, you know, who's the best MLS player to never even make a conference final? Who are the best players in other sports to never one time make the semifinals of his, uh, of his league competition. It's remarkable that a player of his skill, um, his, his sort of singular ability, uh, you just can't get there. Um, and, and it's not his fault. It really isn't. It's the jersey. If he were to go to another team, they, the Caps could trade him tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow, but you know, when the season's over. And I'm, I guarantee you he'd, he'd go far uh, in another sweater. It's just something about this team. So, um, yeah, no, I want it to be over. Um, I've been really unproductive at work. Uh, it's, this has killed me. It's taken years off my life. And, uh, and I want it to be over. So I hear you. Um for yeah. some reason, with the the Metro Stars Red Bulls talk, I'm reminded of when I used to go out to the Giant Stadium press box uh, to cover Metro Stars games, and I did back in 1998. Was one year I did when Bora Militinovic was the coach, and they were the worst team in MLS history at that point. And Alex Giannis was this guy who wrote for the New York Times. Very nice man. I remember him. He had covered the Cosmos back in the 70s. And I think because he had covered the Cosmos in that same stadium, you know, in front of 50,000, 60,000 people, and then we were sitting there in the middle of like a 15-game winless streak, and, uh, you know, maybe maybe 5,000 people in the stadium at that point at most – and Alex Yanis just sitting there every once in a while would just blurt out, Metro Stars. And <laughs> it was said with such contempt and disgust that he earned. You know, he was out there at every freaking horrible Metro Stars game. And maybe it's a little unfair because a lot has changed at that club with the Red Bull ownership coming in. They still haven't won an MLS Cup title, but. Whenever I want to smile I, I, about that team, I think back to Alex Yanis just saying, Metro Stars, in the press box over and over again. Well, and, and when, a team, when a team's identity, and I wonder about this in terms of, you know, like the Cubs, let's use the Cubs for example. The Cubs, the Cubs weren't like the Caps or the Red Bulls. I mean, the Cubs were terrible. It wasn't like they were you know, finishing in first place 
and then and then blowing a three to one lead to the wild card team. I mean, the, the the Cubs for years and years and years weren't even getting close. And so they you that's your identity, right? You're the you're the lovable losers, and 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 when you're a, a Cubs fan, um, you know you're almost. Uh, I don't want to say you're proud, but but uh, you know the fact that you stuck with it all these years, uh, you 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 do have a sense of of inner sort of strength and 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 authenticity. Uh, but you know, once you win, you're just another team, right? You're now now the Cubs are just a team, the Red Sox are just a team, um, and so the Capitals and the Red Bulls and their their you know persistent, endless, uh, soul crushing failure. Um, every single time, the fact that these teams find new and creative ways to blow it and crush everybody—I um, don't know. Like, a part of me, I'm glad I can count on that. You know, I, I feel a kindred spirit with them, and uh, I don't know what I would do. I mean, if they won, I don't know what I would do with myself because what now? You know, and so there, there is that part to it um, that maybe, maybe I secretly want them to blow it because. You know, that's uh, they've been doing that. I went to my first Caps game in 1980. I was mm. obviously very, very, very tiny and don't remember it. But it's it's been a long haul uh, with these these losers. And um, <laughs> and uh, and look, and there are Red Bull. I mean, we know that we know some of them on Twitter. Um, you know, these guys who who uh, have been with this this team since since those giant stadium days um, who come back over and over and over through the, the Rafa Marquez situations and through the playoff home playoff losses. And, you know, just, you know, the, the DC United in a sense, what was the penguins, uh, to, to, to the Red Bulls for a long, long time. Uh, the Red Bulls couldn't get past them in the playoffs. So, um, you know, all, all respect in the world, uh, for those fans who, who keep doing it. Um, and obviously I love going up there now. It's a, it's a great place to watch a game and, and, um, They've got some good players, and uh, you got to think at some point they're going to knock the door down. Metros does. Um, <laughs> Where is he from? Was he Greek? I think so. I think I just did a horrible accent, but I think he was Greek. You know, I, I, yeah, I mean, I he, I knew he had an accent, but I'm trying to. I was trying to remember where he was. That was that press box was the high. That's still the highest press box I've ever been in. <laughs> Memories. I felt like I'm landing at Newark in that <laughs> press box. Lastly, I wanted to ask you a quick question about Champions League. And that could have been because it's inevitable that Real Madrid and Juventus are now going to meet in the final after they both cruise through the first legs of their semifinals. But really, this is just to give you an opportunity to tell your story uh, about Champions League. Yeah, no, I, I, I mentioned this to you early, and, and, and we, we couldn't find a— you laughed, and we couldn't find a a uh, seamless way to get it on. Well, as someone, I mean, you cover more than I do because of your Fox stuff. I mean, are you? Uh, forgive me for for delaying, but are you are you enthused by? It? Do you want to watch? I mean, I guess they're good teams, and and you have the defending champion against Juventus, which is probably the most informed team in Europe at this point. Um, certainly have you know in 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 Dybala, uh, someone who uh, adds a, a bit of spark and spice to a team that that has sort of been. Uh, you know, plotting and defensive for many, many years. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I guess I can't argue that they don't deserve it, but I can't fool myself into being enthusiastic about about this final and about about this. I mean, Atletico and Madrid and Real Madrid facing each other again, and 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 it's it just it's the same six or seven teams, five or six teams every season, and and maybe I'm. Maybe I'm being greedy. Maybe I'm I'm not appreciating the level of of soccer that these teams play, and I should. Um, but I I can't fake being fired up. I'm just not fired up for this final. And I mean, you you like I said, with the you you have to cover this. You have to you 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 offer punditry on this. I mean, am I wrong? Do you feel the same way? I guess what I would say is that there was more unpredictability this season in Champions League than we've seen in recent years, and I liked that. I liked seeing... Monaco. I, I, should, I should... Monaco, you're right. I liked Monaco. seeing Monaco get to the semis. Yeah. I liked seeing Leicester-Sevilla in a knockout matchup. Uh, I liked, you know, not seeing Bayern win their group, but I, I do think when you look at the group stage... It's there's not a lot of surprise. The group stage, yeah, the group um, stage is terrible. It's, it's almost not worth watching. It's yeah. you know six match days where you kind of know what's going to happen. Arsenal's going to finish second and then get knocked out in the round of sixteen. They actually won their group this year, but then they drew Bayern again, and that was kind of funny. <laughs> they um, draw Bayern or Barcelona every single year, right? Right. One of those two. Um, 
my favorite part actually of Champions League this year was probably the early parts of the knockout rounds. And for me, the PSG Barcelona uh, comeback by Barcelona was something that was just an amazing sports moment and will be the lasting image, lasting moment from this Champions League for me and a lot of other people, unless something absolutely insane happens in the final. Um, to come back from 4 nothing down after the first leg and to win 6-1 to one with three goals in the last few minutes, that was amazing. Um, it was it was and 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 i feel like every almost every year we we get we get something like that um there was uh there was the the barcelona bayern semifinal a while back that was incredible um i feel like dortmund's been involved in a couple of you know ridiculous uh ridiculous ties but um yeah, no. I mean, it's 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 the best teams in the world. So so you're going to get that spectacle. And it was cool um, for me. It was I cool for just, me to see to see Christian Pulisic I, score a goal for Dortmund that was the decisive goal in sending his team to the Champions League quarterfinals. I thought that was cool. Yeah, you know, you know he's not even going to be 30 at the 2026 World Cup. I know. I don't think. No, man, he's going to be. Bonkers. Well, it's what he's. That's 10 years from now. He's going to be like 28. Nine years from now, I guess I should learn arithmetic. Um, well, and, and arena, our arena already said we're going to win, so we're good. <laughs> Place your bets. <laughs> so, so here's the, the real reason I'm not I'm not enthused uh, for the 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 Juventus Madrid final. Um, I, I've I'm fortunate I've gotten to travel a lot, but on two occasions in my travels, I have been scammed um, out of out of a, a not insignificant amount of money, especially for a, a young journalist. Um, and, uh, and one of them, one of them was in Istanbul It involved this, this club with these Eastern European dancers and, and, and it, it's a whole other story, but was opium he, involved? Not that I recall. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just imagining. That's okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, it was, it was, that was, partially well they're all my own fault but anyway i was in i it was my first trip to europe it was my first chance to see games in europe and i bought a counterfeit ticket um to the 1998 champions league final between madrid and juventus and i wanted to go so badly uh that i believed so a guy, i was i was i was near the, the the train station i think and this guy comes up to me and asks me if i want to buy dope and I said, I said, no, no, thanks. And he says, well, do you want, do you need tickets? And I'm like, oh, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. So, like, I'm going to trust, you know, I'm going to trust the, 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 it was, a, it was like West African guys. I'm going to, I'm going to trust the dope dealers outside the train station uh, to sell me a legit uh, Champions League final ticket. I mean, you want something so badly, you'll convince yourself of anything. Where was this? So, I, I don't remember the geography of Amsterdam that well. I feel like it was right outside. Oh, okay, so Amsterdam. The, you're the train station in Amsterdam yeah. where, where there's always legitimate business going on in the <laughs> European train station. And so I, I went to an ATM and pulled out, you know, my lunch money basically. <laughs> and, and, and so I handed, I hand the cash to the guy and he, I let, and I'm like, I let me see the ticket. And there was a hologram on it and I rubbed the ink, you know, to make sure it wasn't magic marker, you know, and yeah. it didn't come off. It was, it looked, it looked like a ticket. Um, so I give the guys the cash and they take off, you know? And, it's like, and so I had a little, I had a little seed of doubt and, um, but you know, I, I spent the rest of the day, you know, thinking I was going to the champions league final the next day and, you know, fans were filling the city. It was awesome. I mean, you had Madrid and Juve fans, you know, gathering in different squares around Amsterdam and the color. And again, this being my first trip to Europe, I was just completely blown away by it. I was so excited. And so match day, uh, you ride the, the train or whatever the light rail or I don't remember uh, out to out to Amsterdam Arena and I, I was seeing people with their tickets and, and none of them looked like my ticket <laughs> and and that was when you know the dread the oh god I remember that feeling um they were, theirs were more square and mine was like a rectangle mine was looked like a ticket master ticket like that kind of shape um and they bark and so I was preparing I was preparing for my argument dumb tourist you know, stupid American, you know, uh, can they use their hands? Like, I, I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was going to do to try to get in the game. Um, and it turns out they had barcode readers 
at, at the entrances to the arena, which we didn't have in the late 90s. I mean, this was I wasn't expecting this and they didn't have it in England where I'd already been to see some games. You don't argue with the red light. You know, they scan the barcode on your ticket. The light's red. There is no argument. You're not getting in. Um, and that was it. So, so was there uh, by the end of that trip? I was I was not eating by the I was like trying to bum lunches off people because I'd run out of money and I was beating myself up for, hey, do you want marijuana? No, but I'll take a soccer ticket. Um, was there so, yeah. was there a moment of truth when you got to the barcode reader? Yeah. Yeah, there was a woman with like the like the gun, you know, and she 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 pointed it at the at my ticket and it went red and she just shook her head and then <laughs> went to the next person. Like there was like I, I I'd been preparing my my stump speech and uh, I can't I can't describe how gut wrenching it was. It was just uh, you know, and I've never been to a Champions League final, not since. It, it's like the one kind of big thing in soccer I haven't gotten the chance to go to and I don't know that I ever will. Um, but I've been outside one. Did you go to a bar to watch the game? What did you end up doing? I went back to my hostel, and it was on there, and I sort of watched, but it was really painful. I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, it was like seeing your ex with someone else. I mean, it was that <laughs> kind of, like, you know, your heart being torn from your body kind of kind of feeling. Um and um, and of course, back then I, I I had no idea I would do this for a living. I had no idea I'd go to two World Cup finals. You know, I, I never imagined that. So I felt like at the time, I felt like this was my you know I would never have another chance like this um, to go to a game of, of any sort of magnitude abroad. And uh, yeah, so so Juve and, and Madrid always have that. Um, it's funny because a few years later, I bought a ticket. Uh, from a, a tout or a scalper or whatever you want to call it outside the Bernabeu to see Real Madrid because I'm an idiot and I've never learned my lesson, but it was, it was much, much cheaper than 250 or 300 bucks and it worked. It worked. So I got in. Well, that's good. Yeah. Back in the 94 world cup, I was in Foxborough or in the Boston area and was looking for a ticket to, uh, the Argentina, I think it was Argentina, Greece or Argentina, Nigeria. I saw both those games and I bought a ticket from a tout, at a uh, a rest stop on I ninety five, and the guy had one of those like big vans that ha- didn't have any windows in it. You know, they're usually used by serial killers and people like that. They're similar, right? Hey, you want some fireworks? You want some meth? You want a soccer ticket? Yeah, yeah similar to my experience. Yep. But the ticket was actually a good one, or at least it got me in. I don't know if it was real or not, but like they they seem to think it was. Um, so I'm sorry that happened, man. That just made a, a single solitary tear come down my cheek. Okay, I'll take it. That's 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 worth the the, the lost money and humiliation. <laughs> well, oh, oh, I forgot to mention this. Um, I don't. No one's gonna have. If anyone is still listening, they're not gonna have pity. Uh, but but I of course I was so excited I was going to the final that I may as well have been wearing like a t-shirt all day saying, I'm going to the final. I'm going to the final. Like I was like running up and yelling at old ladies on the street, telling them I was going to the final. And of course I got to the hostel after I bought the ticket and announced, you know, to, 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 to everybody that I was going and everyone was jealous and, Oh, that's so cool. And, and, um, so, so, so to walk back into the hostel, like 25 minutes into the first half and sort of turn around you know, Westworld style. He's walking to the saloon. Um, sucked. Yeah. It sucked. Wow. So, man. Uh, so yeah, I guess if you're going to buy, if you're going to buy in the black market, um, make sure you know what the ticket looks like and make sure the person doesn't first offer you drugs <laughs> because they may not be on the up and up. I am always, whenever Real Madrid, Madrid plays Juventus, from now on, I'm going to think about you and your your very sad story. It's hard, man. Yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever seen you they live. Actually, um, I have seen Madrid a few times, but uh, yeah, you know, it's I guess I I guess I had my I've been I've been caught in a state couple stadium crushes. Um, I've I've bought a counterfeit ticket. I've had done a pitch invasion. Um, I've had to talk my way past cops. Uh, you know, you got it. That's part of experiencing the, the game, right? It's part of it. So I'll try to convince myself of that while I'm crying myself to sleep. That is material for a future podcast. We'll have to remember that. But uh, 
As for this podcast, just wanted to say thanks, Brian, for joining me. This was fun, and let's do it again. All right, man. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss, as well as everyone at Digital Media and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there are other great new and archived episodes you can check out, including my recent interviews with Carly Lloyd, Howard Webb, John Strong, Vicente Lizarazu, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Paolo Maldini. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, and review it on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.